0: Well, there you have it. Week 4 action in the book and the Indiana Hoosiers 4 and 0 and they beat Michigan State 24 to nothing and still fans are not satisfied. Where in the world did you think that would ever happen? Well, we're going to talk about that. Welcome back to the Indiana Football Podcast. Presented by the Hoosier Network, I'm Griffin Gonzalez. I'm still driving home from East Lansing. I feel like I've been in the car for 10 hours. Besides me, uh, as usual via Zoom, so we're socially distant, Jack Ankeny, and of course, Griff Epstein. And hey, guys, if, if you would have told me at the beginning of the season, hey, I you going to shut out a Big Ten team on the road and people are going to be very upset about it, I would have laughed in your face and told you, yeah, shut the you know what up, okay? Uh, but that's the case scenario we find ourselves in. And, and I guess uh, if I can start off with kind of an easy question to get the dialogue going here today, you're, you're at home watching that game. You're, you're watching that second half. Were you satisfied watching that Indiana game in the second half? Just no points on the board.
1: I mean, no. Uh-oh. I mean, Go ahead, Jack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I, I wrote down the last, uh, the second half drives, it was punt, turnover on downs, punt turnover on downs, and then they run out the clock, and you kind of just think, how did we, How did Indiana just win 24-0 is kind of how I felt when I rewatched it. And um, I think that is kind of a testament to how impressive that first half was, just completely putting them away. I think when you look at, at, at this defense, the last couple weeks especially, um, the defensive line, that's, that hasn't been an area that we've really thought was going to be a strength, but it has completely taken away both Michigan and Michigan state's running games and force them to be one dimensional the last two weeks. So, um, I was really impressed by that. But like you said, the second half, I was like, I don't know how, uh, I don't know how this game's 24, nothing with the way that they looked, especially on the offense in the second
2: half. I just thought watching the second half, that was one of the most boring halves of football I have watched in a long time. And, uh, Gonzo, I can only, uh, pity you for being there and sitting outside in the cold and having to watch those 30 minutes of football. Cause it, it was utterly boring to watch, uh, but I, I, don't kn- I don't know. I if don't know if it, I mean, what was it? How bad was it for you?
0: I, I mean, it was just kind of like, I, I had my, I had my popcorn and I don't know if you guys know this uh, Michigan state's press box is the only press box that charges for food in the big 10. Wow. Which is just, I'm sorry. Like, first of all, Charging for food is one thing when every other school in the big 10 gives it to you free 450 for a box of popcorn. I mean, come on, come yeah. on. I, I know you don't have fans in this season, but do you really need to take it on other media? That just seems to But anyway, um, I, no, I, I, think, you know, when I look back, I, so the second half, it wasn't like, it's like Indiana was playing well, but they were playing good, boring. Like it was like, it was just kind of like, oh, can we be a little more exciting here, boys? Like, you know, I, I get – and I, I kind of heard on a college football podcast the other day, it's like, yeah, you don't want to throw out all your – you don't want to throw the playbook at them because Michigan State – I mean, Ohio State, excuse me, is going to watch this game on film all week. So you really didn't want to give them that much to work with. But at the same time, you, you know, you could do a little something else other than the inside run through the A-gap 75 times a game. I, I mean – I just think it was kind of an underwhelming performance. And I think, you know, that's the difference when I think you look at this Indiana team this year is man, that was underwhelming. And they won 24, nothing on the road. Like last year, Indiana, I mean, 24, nothing on the road. I correct me if I'm wrong, might've been the best win of the season in the big 10, you know? And, And I think that's, what's so different about this Indiana team is the fact that they can win by that much. They can be that dominant. And you still have an ax to grind. And uh, that's the difference between a good team and a great team. You you get to sit there and actually say like, hey, this was great, but you also were terrible here. Uh, The run game was terrible. Uh, The passing game at times were terrible. I thought Penix made some pretty bad decisions early in this one. Um, I thought the defense, I mean, I really can't point out that bad plays by defense, but I think if I'm going to point out any negative, the defense still struggles to stop a rushing quarterback. Okay, that was one. Uh, that was one play. It was a. Few and he was plays. new. It was. It was new. But like I'm saying, okay, let's replace the backup from Naperville freshman with Justin Fields. What's going to happen? You know, I, I, I just. Uh, I I just I think there are like I and this is keep in mind, Griff. That's just me. If I had to pick something, I mean, there really wasn't. Much there was yes, on. exactly. Um, but I I will say like I, I think that's a positive. I think you look at a game like this and say, we can be better. Because you look at next week's opponent, you're going to have to be. And the fact that you can actually go over that and film and see what you need to really hammer home. I mean, if you want me to be honest with you, I think defensively this was IU's best game of the season. Offensively, I think it ranks up with Penn State as one of the worst. And may put up 35 against Penn State. Um, and I really think if you don't have the help on the defense, I think IU puts up 14 on the day. Uh, because the defense and the interceptions really helped them Get into great territory and set up good offense. So uh, that's just kind of my overarching thoughts on this one. Uh, and we're going to dive in a little bit more here. Uh, I want to start off talking about Mike Pinnock's uh, guys. Uh, you know, even when he's bad, the guy is good. Uh, lots of passing yards that day. Um, pretty good touchdown throw uh, to Ty Freifogel. Ty Freifogel played out of his mind. I'm sure we're going to get to that topic, but we're going to keep it at the quarterback play. Uh, I want to talk about his two interceptions. Um, he only had one in the season leading up to this one. When you look at those two, were you surprised? Did you think it was more of a Michigan state defense player? Or do you think it was just kind of a, you know, Mike can't be throwing those balls. Well, Griff, let's start with you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, the second one was just definitely just a poor decision where you, you're thinking, I don't, I don't know why he tried to throw the ball there. And he's, he's obviously not a great arm and, we saw that one throw against Michigan that was replayed on social media. Uh, I believe that was to, to WOP a, a middle of the field play against Michigan where he threw it. it, it yeah, it was WOP in, in in between three Michigan defenders. Uh, so, so I think sometimes I think he has such confidence in his arm and his abilities, and he's always such a a confident player. You can you can hear when he's at at the pressers. Uh, talking about his ability and his team's ability. He thinks he can make every play. And I, I thought a spe- I thought the first one wasn't an awful throw. It was a nice play by the Michigan State defender. But especially that second interception, I think sometimes that confidence with the quarterback can lead you into situations that are dangerous and maybe make throws uh, that are ill-advised but you think you can make. And looking back, uh, you know you can't. And, and the reality is, you know, as much as we compliment him and, you know, he's undoubtedly one of the best quarterbacks Indiana's ever seen. He doesn't have that much experience. I mean, this was his, what is his seventh career start. I mean, he's, yeah, he's third year in college, but he hasn't actually played that much on the field. So interceptions are going to happen. Uh, he didn't have his best game. And I think that the continued concern is we saw him shine in the second half against Rutgers. We saw him shine in two two drives against Penn state and the entire Michigan game. And he, kind of never really got into that rhythm against Michigan State. And it's just a matter of getting into that consistent rhythm with his wide receivers. Uh, and, and what yeah. we saw last year at East Lansing, when he had through twenty-one straight completions and nearly broke a Big Ten record for straight completions, uh, he can be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Uh, but I think for a matter, it's just a matter of more experience in terms of decision-making. And I think the frustrating part is just that consistency. And it's hard to pinpoint... I guess why they've struggled so, so much, Uh, you'd think with just more time, you're going to see greater consistency, but obviously against Ohio state, they're going to, they're going to have to play offensively like they did against Michigan. If they have any chance of winning in Columbus.
1: Yeah.
0: If I can piggyback off that, sorry, before you answer that question, Jack, I I think you look at the Michigan state game earlier in that game before his second interception, he fired one down the middle of the field, like he did against Michigan to wop in between uh, two corners and a safety. And I, I, you know, it was a beautiful play. The fact that he could thread the ball in there and it shows how great he is as a quarterback for timing and, you know, pass accuracy. And that's great. But put Michigan's quarterbacks in there, half of whom will be, I mean, first, second, third round draft picks. That, that's going to be an interception nine days out of 10. So as great as confidence is, and as great as Penix can be at slinging the ball in there, there is a high cost that comes with it. And I think, you could possibly see that come into factor against Ohio state later this week. Um, But I, I mean, Jack, if I can pivot the question a little bit for you, you know, kind of go on a more positive note than we just did, you know, even when Penix is not great and has these two interceptions games, he still shows a lot of bright spots and he's still able to make plays when it matters. And I think he was able to do that. And that's, I think the main reason they were able to put up 24 on this day against Michigan state is they were able to capitalize on what the defense gave them.
1: Well, you're right, Griff. I mean, before the Michigan State game, Indiana was 16 for 16 um, on scoring on red zone trips, so they had been one of the best teams in the red zone going into the year or going into the game. Um, so I think to answer your first question, I think I, I think it was a little bit surprising to see um, him throw that the interception in the red zone. Um, I think where I think where some of his problems come in is like Griffin was talking about. He is looking to make those big plays, and he knows that he has the arm and He's got the weapons and Freifogel and and Wop and even Miles Marshall's been playing really well. I think he's so eager to make some some plays that sometimes it get it, he gets a little bit ahead of himself. Um, but I think he's done a great job this year. I'm um, like, like get, getting the ball out fast. He's not holding it too long. Um, and then when when he doesn't get it out on his first read, um, like like even like last year, he he's good at at just getting out of the pocket, rolling out. Um, so I think against Michigan State, like his his main error is, is just really when he's trying to make those plays that he, that sometimes you got to say, you know, that the, those aren't real. Those aren't realistic. And and he's just trying to trying to do too much sometimes, I think.
2: Also, yeah, one other point I want to make, and I think it doesn't all fall on Michael Penix, I think. For another game, a lot of the the struggles and even especially the red zone execution fell on Nick Sheridan and Sheridan was pretty critical of himself in the in the presser on Monday morning uh, saying, you know, not all the players executed, but he basically said, you know, to be honest, I called a horrible game and uh, especially in the red zone in the second half, uh, you know, I. I don't know why any coach ever in the red zone decides to try more than one fade because that never works. (laughs) You know, uh, Jim Harbaugh knows that doesn't work. As a a San Francisco 49er fan, I know that from that Super Bowl against the Ravens. You don't do that. You you just run the ball, honestly, when you're there. But one thing that I really liked from Sheridan, and I thought he called his best game against Michigan, is is the – Jack mentioned it, the quick release. You know, the offensive line is – Mediocre for Indiana. They're not going to protect them for that long. You get screen passes in in slants and crossing routes to your weapons. We Fry Fogle has been incredible in the open field. I mean, what a game he had against Michigan State. Uh, he's taking huge leaps. We know Wap can make great plays. Miles Marshall's athletic. Ender shot's hard to bring down. Any of those guys, you get it to him quick. I mean, even against Ohio State, I think they're going to cause problems uh, for that secondary and that linebacking core. So. Uh, I don't understand why they went away from it against Michigan state. And a lot of times we're just looking down the field with deep balls. Uh, I think Penix was effective in that Michigan state game last year. And obviously it was a different offensive coordinator, uh, but it was a lot of screen passes, getting your running backs and offensive line out blocking and just getting it to your playmakers and Penix can make those throws easily. I think that's the best way for offensive success. And if you're an IU fan, I think you have to hope that, Nick Sheridan will look at that Michigan game and learn from his success and learn from his mistakes in in the Penn State game and the Rutgers game and in the Michigan State game where they've looked more down the field and they're just harder throws to make. Yes, yeah, sometimes you're going to hit it big, but sometimes you're going to have Penix make a mistake or you're just going to throw
0: three incompletions and you're punting the ball away and relying on your defense. With all with all due respect, to Nick Sheridan, the fade touchdown does look really cool on the replay. So. <laughs> I am going to find it. But it's it's one out of 10. <laughs> it's 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 a lottery. It doesn't it rarely works. Yeah, it and it doesn't. And I I think he was trying to attack the fact that Michigan State was low on corners and their corner play wasn't great, but at the same time, I mean, it, it, what makes the fade so difficult is eventually you run out of space and you run out of place to roo- move. So it's either you're going to commit a pass interference penalty because you need to create space or you know, you're going to give the ball up. So it's honestly not my favorite play in football. It's actually the second least favorite play for me behind the good old uh uh delayed pitch. I, I really don't like outside runs at all. But anyway. Um uh, I you know, it's just I whenever I see an outside run for Indiana football, I'm like, oh great, a gain of two. Uh you know, the
2: halfback toss is so pure, but I I I guess. <laughs>
0: Ty Fogle, one player who really shined against Michigan State. 200 yards, two touchdowns. One of those touchdowns, a 63-yarder, which might I add, he kind of set up himself, uh, was able to get around a defender and make the play. Um, just all around back-to-back great weeks for Ty Fry. And he did it against Michigan, who we know how talented they are, and he did it against Michigan State. And guys, what is it about Ty Freifogel that just makes him so hard to stop?
1: Yeah, well, I think I think he can really make uh, like run a variety of routes very well. You know, he's not just one guy that you're going to say we're just going to throw it down the field as far as we can, or we're just going to get him in screens. I think Sheridan has figured out that they can use him a lot of different route combinations and 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 uh, and kind of play off the the uh, the fact that you know defenses have to recognize Wop as well, so they can't. Um, double team, either of them. I think last year, you know, he was definitely took like a, a second role to WAP and this year he's, he's he's definitely been better at least the last two games. I think he's got a great combination of, of size and, you know, the ability to go jump up and, and get a ball and also, you know, break away when, when he finds, when he finds an opening. Um. So, I mean, he's been obviously one of the, one of the most uh, like t- guys that's taken one of the biggest steps this year on, on IU. Yeah, I
2: mean, I did a, a video package on him last week, and uh, I'm thinking I, I should do one on, on a player I want to step up because I did Reese Taylor beginning of the season. He's had a great game, basically just been awesome every game for IU and then Freifogel stepping up as well uh, right after I did the package on him. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's a combination for him of, of, of size and excellent athleticism and – Griffin mentioned it, you know, on the 65-yarder, it was kind of underthrown by Penix. He came back and got it and juked past two Michigan State defenders and then just outran the rest of the secondary. The other one was his first touchdown was in some ways even more impressive. He got the ball at the 15, and then he bounced off two different defenders uh, and then sprinted into the end zone. So, you know, from my research and some of the talking I I did with him and and coaches is he always had the – the athleticism, even in high school, and he was fra- he's from a George County, Loosedale, Mississippi, about a, a 500 people in uh, the middle of nowhere, southeast Mississippi. You know, kind of a raw player. He he barely got looked at by by anyone. Ole Miss, Idaho, and Indiana were the only three schools to offer him. And, and really, old IU had a connection with him because his father had actually played at Ole Miss with IU wide receiver coach Grant Hurd. And, you know, didn't get a lot of attention, low three-star. And he's just – it's been so impressive because he slowly worked his way up the depth chart. He came in raw with all that athletic and physical talent. Uh, and he's worked so hard. You know, he had one catch his freshman year. He had six catches his sophomore year. And then, as Jack said, just took that huge step forward last year, started to become that second guy to WOP and really hone in on how to run routes, how to beat the defense, and combine – is just pure athleticism and physical skills with the skills of a talented wide receiver. And the, and then it's, you know, he's just taken another step forward this year. Uh, and, you know, I talked about my package. I mean, he's got NFL prospects, especially the way he's improved from his freshman year to his senior year. I mean, I, I think he can be a, a wide receiver that gets playing time in the NFL. And I mean, it, it, as, again, as Jack said, you know, it's huge that you have a second guy besides failure. Because we know how good failure is, but the ability to have Freifogel opposite failure, you know, you typically have that one lockdown corner if you're a defense. And now you got two guys on the outside to defend. It just makes it really tough. And we've seen the last two weeks, failure hasn't had big games, uh, but Fogle has stepped up.
0: Well, I you know, Griff, the rumors are true in that whoever you do a package on is the player that has the biggest standout performance. Well, I'm pretty sure a bunch of IE football fans would really like you to do a package this week on Stevie Scott and the Indiana run game because it's been cool. I I mean, pretty rough. Um, It's not that it's non-existent. I don't want to say that because, I mean, Stevie Scott did have 83 yards and there were 113 rushing yards on the game this past weekend. But at the same time, it's yards are so hard to come by Uh, and it just feels like every time these guys run the football they're running into a brick wall within three to four yards Uh, and there's just not much beyond that there's no big runs there's no big gains I think we saw some of that early in the season against Penn State and Rutgers but since it's just been kind of lackadaisical Uh, Griff I kind of want to fire this one back at you Uh, is it the defense being played against Indiana is it the lack of experience on the offensive line? Is it Stevie Scott taking a step back? What is with this run game right now that we have not seen this season? And we really haven't seen since Stevie Scott's freshman year.
2: Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint. And it's been one of the mysterious weaknesses of this IU football team. I feel like it's a combination of four or five different things. I think one thing is that when you have a quarterback like Michael Penix, you just want to throw the ball a lot. I think it's, as you said, a combination of an offensive line that's pretty young and got even younger and less experience on on Saturday when you already had Mike Kadich out, and then Caleb Jones is now out with an undisclosed injury or something else. So, I mean, you're looking now at at three guys that were not in the starting lineup, now starting at the offensive line, uh, and, and run blocking probably more challenging, more technical in a way than pass blocking is. Uh, so I think that's a part of it, and I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what exactly to say about Stevie Scott because he was so incredible this freshman year, and he's never really gotten to that level uh, again of just bouncing off carriers and looking like one of the best running backs in the Big Ten, and I don't I don't know why, why that is. Sometimes I guess you just get into a rhythm as a player and get into a zone, and he hasn't been able to find that. I would say maybe he needs more carries, but he actually got 23 carries against Michigan State, uh, so it's it's hard to say. And I think against most teams, it's not a concern for IU. But don't want to talk too much about the Ohio State game. But I do think I do think against Ohio State, you know, and against Wisconsin, and potentially you're looking at it, you know, if they play in a big time bowl game against a top SEC team, it, it could be a concern because you don't want to be one dimensional. So uh, it's it's something that Indiana needs to address and it's certainly been mysterious.
1: Right. I think it's been a weakness. I don't think it has necessarily really hurt the offense in terms of like, you know, stalling them out. If in like, they can't get any yards. I think Stevie Scott's been very good in the red zone. You know, he had that, that one touchdown against Michigan state where he took on three tacklers to the end zone. I think he's been a a really nice threat in that area it seems like kind of when, when the offense is, is driving, they're, they're not able to get kind of those bigger chunk runs. It's, it's kind of just been the between two and five yards, which, you know, you'll take, but um, w- just with the way the offensive line is played and, and, and running backs, it, it hasn't obviously been something that you can look to, to say, here's a balanced offense for Indiana. It's really been, let's air it out with Michael Penix. And then, just kind of scrape by with what the run game can give them and, and you know punch it in to make the stats look good um, at, at the end of the day. Um, I, I think, Griffin, you brought up a great point about um, thinking in way ahead to, to bowl games if they're going to play a team in the SEC. That's obviously uh, – you're going to have to be able to run the ball against teams like that.
0: I really think the big thing here to focus on with the run game – is it, to me it's a few things it, it's one the lack of creativity on the run i feel like if if you feel like you know indiana is going to run the ball you also can pretty much narrow down where the ball is going to go in the sense that it's going to be an inside run it just is and indiana has shown that they're they're really not going to force stevie outside if they're going to go with an outside run they're going to do a pitched um a little flick flat flick fl- ooh, flick pass um to one of their receivers and have them basically just sprint on the outside. I I think that's some creativity issues that they need to fix. I I think Stevie needs to have the freedom to run outside the left tackle. I I think, I don't know if that's with Caleb Jones. I, I don't know with that, but bouncing off of that, this offensive line is young and they are by no means the best offensive line in the country. And if I can go back to Stevie Scott's freshman year, I mean, there was NFL talent on that offensive line then. Uh, I I think there was a lot more talent on that Indiana team then. I think there was, uh, you know, it felt for the longest time over the past 20 years, the most consistent talent base on this Indiana team has been the offensive line. And part of that's because of Hiller. Um, But I I think you've lost that in the past two years. And I think that's kind of reflective in how Stevie scout runs the ball. Uh, You know, growing up, I I always heard that. My coaches always told me that if the offensive line gets two yards of push, The running back is going to get four because that's just kind of how it kind of works in football. And I think what you're seeing this year is not only is the offensive line not getting two yards of push, they're actually getting pushed back. And I think that's resulting in what Stevie's doing. I don't know if you guys have ever been body next to Stevie Scott or any of our listeners have, but the guy's big. I mean, he's easily six foot, but he's got pure muscle. I mean, he's, he looks like a bus, like you don't want to get in his way. And, and I don't think it's anything on Stevie as much as it, there's just a huge issue at the offensive line level and it, it's youth and keep in mind, they were missing two starters on the offensive line, uh, this past week. So I, I think that's a huge concern moving forward. All right. I got one more question about the offense. I want to keep this one pretty quick, but I it kind of just kept bothering me on Saturday when watching the game, Peyton Hendershot, um, He was, I kind of called him, uh, you know, he was kind of the Hoosiers bailout last year. Um, And and I think the, the reason was, it just kind of felt like Ramsey, anytime he was backed into a third and seven or longer, you knew he was going to Hendershot over the middle and Hendershot could pretty much make the grab over any defender. This year is kind of a different story. Hendershot targeted five times on Saturday. One of those got called back for a penalty, even though he caught it. Two were caught and two were dropped. And it kind of seems like we're following this constant theme of Hendershot dropping balls, which is something that we rarely saw last year. What's different this year? Is it from a new quarterback? Is it um, focus? Is it just the fact that it's an off year? What, what's different about Hendershot this year, you guys, than you think is usual uh, for this Indiana football program? Because we've seen him come up big last year. Uh, Jack, let's start with you.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's tough, but I think I think some of it is you have more weapons on, on this year's offense. Um, I mean, Fry Fogel and miles Marshall are obviously taking on a much greater role, um, this year, but I mean, like you said, that doesn't really explain the Hendershot drops. I don't know. Maybe it could be just the, the difference, uh, just chemistry with the lefty Penix compared to Ramsey. I don't know if it's something with that, just their timing, um, that, that could be, I think Hendershot has still been a solid, um, target in the red zone um but yeah like you said that was kind of uh unlike him against Michigan State to see those drops just because he has been such a reliable option for IU quarterbacks uh, in in his years for Indiana
0: Griff? yeah um,
1: Yeah, I
2: mean the, I don't know I think if you have a really big drop or two that can get in your head and he had the the drop against Penn State and it didn't cost them but it you know, if Devin Ford doesn't go into the end zone that you go back as Indiana football fans and say, that was the difference between knocking off a, a top 10 team. And then against Michigan, he had a, a play down the sideline and he was wide open and would have scored a touchdown and just bounced off his hand. So I think, I think it's a little mental. Uh, it's interesting because last year I felt like Hendershot was just such a huge player when Ramsey was the quarterback and when Penix was, you know, he just wasn't as much of a factor, and Penix really liked to go to failure. Uh, so it, it might also be a chemistry thing as well. I think it's a combination of that.
0: I, I, I kind of like whatever you said about the kind of left-handed versus right-handedness. I, I do think that might be playing a factor um, in the sense that, you know, I, I think last year we said that Penix was – Penix and uh, WAP were – two peas in a pod and, and now you're seeing kind of Penix and Fryfogle be back to back and Wap kind of not fading in the distance exactly, but kind of being able to take a back seat. And I'm going to be honest, uh, you know, if I'm Indiana and the offensive coordinator, man, I'm really loving having two great wide receivers because let me tell you, when you focus on tie, that's fine. Um, Cause Wap was going to probably be open over the middle for seven yards every time. Um, so it should be interesting to see how that does in the future here in the next few weeks. All right, guys, I want to wrap up the pod today. We're going to have a few quick questions about the defense uh, before wrapping up this MSU post game review. Um, Defense was the reason Indiana won this game. No doubt about it. Um, I mean, when you shut a team down, obviously, but it's not even shutting a team down. It's the way Indiana shut them down. Michigan state was never able to get any momentum. They were constantly getting shut down. They didn't get past Indiana's 37 yard line, which is, I mean, and I heard on an earlier podcast the other day, it's like that's what teams do to Indiana. Indiana doesn't really do that to other teams in the Big Ten. Um, so really new, refreshing thing. I guess to me, is it the tackling? Is it the takeaways? Is it the personnel? Is it the connection? Is it the chemistry? What is it about this Indiana defense? Because it's not a lot of new faces. It's a lot of the same guys from last year. What is it that is different about this Indiana defense this year compared to last year. Cause I, I, mean, I don't know about you guys. I'm still waiting for a touchdown that can be blamed on a blown tackle. Um, Cause there have not been that many this season. And that's usually, there's usually about one to two per game for Indiana. And that just has not happened.
2: Yeah. I mean, the question, that's been the question we, we've all been asking. The last couple of weeks is how can you just take such an incredible step forward from, you know, in historically in 2015 being by far the worst defense in the big 10 uh, to even last year being a against good competition, I use defense was not good against Penn state against Michigan. I uh, didn't play well in the fourth quarter against Tennessee. Uh, and I think it, they've had a perfect combination of everything coming together. They've had, you know, the experience they were the most returning experienced defense in the big 10 ninth in the country. Uh, and you know, you have, a, you have a coach in Kane Womack, who I think he, last year was his first year. You know, he's he was the youngest coordinator in the country, youngest offensive or defensive coordinator in the country last year, which is now Nick Sheridan this year, by the way. Uh, so not a lot of experience for Womack. I mean, he has done an incredible job this year. Every every play call, every design, his game, I thought his game plan against Michigan State, and I wrote about this in the HN recap article. I mean, it was just, it was it was perfect. I mean, he, he applied, He basically he brought pressure. He's had creative ways to bring pressure with the linebackers. Uh, with we, we've seen Mullen obviously with sacks. We've seen Reese Taylor get in the backfield. They were able to bring pressure. Uh, Lombardi couldn't throw the ball downfield. We saw the backup quarterback for Michigan State also come in and not be able to throw the ball downfield. Uh, and basically, that you know, Michigan State didn't have a running game. Uh, they weren't able to do anything, and it was. It was, as you said, it was so incredibly dominant. And I think it affirmed how good this defense is because, as much as Michigan State's offense is obviously not good this year, but just the way they completely just suffocated them, they, they had one drive out of, of 12 drives of more than 25 yards. I mean, they did literally nothing. Uh, it was, it was, it was just, it was so impressive. And it's a combination of the coaching, the returning players. Uh, And and as
0: we've seen, you know, for
2: the entire Indiana team of everything coming together, the defense has been at the forefront of that.
0: All right, gentlemen, I want to I want to close the podcast today with this question on the defensive side today. uh, You look at this Indiana team and I don't want to focus mainly on the Michigan State game because I feel like that's a very easy answer for this question. I want to focus on the season as a whole. And I think it's going to be pretty hard to pick. I want us east to go Um, MVP. Of the defense this season for Indiana, you take them out of the picture; it's a huge blow to the Indiana defense. Uh, who is your MVP on the Indiana defensive side of the ball, Jack? Let's start with you and explain to me why.
1: Okay, um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with someone that I that I don't think Griffin was going to pick. So I'm going to go with Micah McFadden, uh, the linebacker. I think that when you look at the last two weeks, um, to Griffin's earlier point about uh, Kane Womack and, and just the job he's done, I think his game plans. Uh, especially the last two weeks have been just absolutely perfect and also credit to the players for executing it. But, you know, you, you, you think of Joe Milton, you know, he's, he's someone that's better with his feet than, than through the air and and Indiana completely took away uh, any, any Michigan run game against Michigan state. You know, Lombardi has been someone that's turned the ball over a lot and, and they kind of executed that and they took away Michigan state's run game and forced him to throw. And it resulted in him getting pulled in the second quarter. So, I think Micah McFadden has evolved into the mainstay linebacker that you look at and state and say, you know, he's a stud. He's the leader of, of our defense, even though, you know, maybe he doesn't have as many takeaways as some other guys. Um, I think when you think of just pure value and um, the way that Indiana has beaten certain teams, I think McFadden has been huge. You know, nine tackles last week against Michigan State. I think he's been great.
2: Yeah, man, there's so many different guys I could pick. I mean, obviously McFadden's been great. Uh, I think you have to talk about the, the defensive lineman, Jerome Johnson, C.O. Nofo's taking a big step up and Demarcus Elliott at that nose tackle position. I mean, the pressure against Michigan State was huge, but it's really, that's been the biggest step forward at the defensive line. But I think if I have to pick a player, it has to be Taiwan Mullen. I mean, it, he is the Michael Penix of the defense. He, he is the leader and he's a, just a player that has that it factor, that was brought into this program that didn't, didn't care about the history, didn't care about the past, and wanted to create something special. And it, it, was, it came full circle with him at Michigan State having two interceptions because he, his coming out party was, was at Michigan State last year. He had four pass breakups, and we hadn't really seen him play before then. Uh, and ever since then, I mean, he's been the best, best cornerback uh, for Indiana. And I, I honestly think, I mean, we'll see Sean Wade uh, for Ohio State on on Saturday. But I think Tywan Mullen is the best cornerback quarter, in the Big Ten and probably a top five cornerback in the country. I mean, he has two and a half sacks. He now has two interceptions. He has two pass breakups. He has three and a half tackles for loss. He can do everything. And I mean if he's not a top 15 pick in in the NFL draft in two years then someone's getting an absolute steal because he, he's just he's just a stud I could go on about him.
0: Yeah, I think the one knock you have on Taiwan is is the fact his size. He's a little smaller but he plays so much bigger than what he is. I, I mean, most guys that size probably can't tackle as consistently big 10 quarterbacks like he does. And he just does not have an issue. And, and he
2: plays It's uh, similar to Penix. He plays so hard and it's confidence. He has so much confidence and belief. And he, he was an all American. He played in the, the U S army, all American yeah, game yeah. It's similar to Penix. It's that belief and confidence. It, it, it transcends in life. You're going to do better if you have confidence. Uh, and, and Mullen has yeah. just, is oozing with confidence,
0: and the other thing is, I think if you remember, I mean, you, Griff, I don't even think you were here yet, but I mean, when Mullen was coming to Indiana, you had an All American tweeting out, LEO, all this stuff a year before he got to campus, and I mean, the guy was getting ripped on on Twitter, saying, "All right, have fun transforming the worst program in Big Ten history in college football history," and he just constantly said, "We're going to change it." We're going to change it. And what's so empowering to me is, you know, we were talking about it in the press corps, you know, earlier last week, it's just like, this kid was the kid who really turned the momentum over, you know, sure you have Tom Allen, but he was the first big recruit. I think Tom Allen was really able to secure. And just the way he came into this program and took a leadership from day one. um, I mean, kids young. I mean, I don't think he's even, I don't know if he's even 20 yet, if he is 20, but The way he leads that locker room and leads the defense is truly impactful, but I'm going to be different from both of you. And I'm going to go just for the heck of it. I'm going to say Jamar Johnson, but the truth is it's the entire Indiana defensive line, because I don't know if you guys remember this last season in the season before and the 10 seasons before this Indiana defensive line was an absolute joke. Could not get to a quarterback to save their lives. Uh, Just overall not pressuring I mean, giving up big runs up the middle. Just If if the linebackers weren't there, if the linebackers dropped in coverage and the defensive line wasn't there, guess what? Whoever was running the football was gaining seven, eight, nine yards every time. This defensive line, was we were all predicting to be the worst part of this defense this season. And so far, I'm still saying they're the worst because those corners and linebackers are so good. But they have taken such a step up this year for this team. It's just not even, it's it's beyond many of our beliefs. I mean, I would have told you that Indiana would be four and O before I would say that the defensive line would be a key reason as to why I, you know, I I just thought this group was that bad, uh, really just not that great on paper. None of them, no popping names that really stand out, but somehow this defensive line was able to figure it out in house. They didn't have to go recruit. They didn't get transfers. I mean, other than Swan, um, but they were able to pretty much win with their guys. And Jamar Johnson's one of them. And Jamar Johnson's ability to constantly attack and constantly get in there and make a play, it's, I mean, it's a guy that I said I, I could have seen without. Uh, I, could, I could have seen losing his job last year and this year. Uh, but the defensive line has been key to the Indiana success, uh, and I think it will be the rest of the way. Um, guys, sad news to finish out the pod today. Uh, one big loss in this Michigan State game. Thomas Allen Jr. uh, out for the rest of the season with a hip injury. Uh, Tom Allen's son, of course. Um, We saw the raw emotion on Saturday when he was getting carted off the field, but then we saw the raw emotion today in Tom Allen's press conference. Um, Just obviously not holding back tears. Um, Very emotional, very sad. Uh, you know, I think we talked a lot about football on the podcast, as we should. It is a football podcast, but I think we've kind of seen these moments uh, where Tom Allen often gets bigger than football and, and just kind of wanted your guys' thoughts on how he handled that, um, how he came out and addressed it today to the media, and just kind of this Indiana team moving forward without, uh, I mean, not a star linebacker, but certainly a core part of their defense.
1: Yeah, well, well Griff, I, I mean, I think you're – your tweet today was was really, really hit it. When you, when you said, if if anyone thought that it was fake or forced the way that Tom Allen acts, like today really proved that, that it's not. And I think today also showed just the heart that this team has. And it's, it starts with Tom Allen. And it, it, I think every, I think every player on this team would run through a brick wall for Tom Allen. That's a cliche saying, but I, I mean, I, it's kind of the way that you see, you know, in some of these post game uh, videos in the, in the locker room, just the love that, that everyone has um, just for each member of the team, I think has been great to see. And I think it starts with Alan and, and today, you know, he really opened up about that, um, which was really cool to see, I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think what, what you said, Griffin, it's bigger than football and, you know, the emotion that he displays is, is real. And it's, it's more important than football in a way. And everything he does is devoted to football, but as sports can be, it's a, it's a symbol for something larger in life. And, that, and that's what Leo is, you know, it's, it's loving each other, no matter, no matter who you are, no matter what your race is, no matter your background, political affiliation, sexual orientation, all that. Uh, and it was, you know, it wasn't just when, when Thomas Allen got hurt, and Tom Allen coming over, but as he left the entire defense coming over to greet him. Uh, and, you know, I think coaches come in, you know, and, and not to harp on PJ Fleck in Minnesota, but he has this row the boat thing. And it's not, it's this, just this marketing ploy. It's, I don't know, what, what does it actually mean? It, it doesn't really mean anything. LEO is, is is it's words to live by beyond the football field. And, and you know, as I said, you know, he's growing a football team and that's what he's devoting devoting his life to. But, you know, these players are going to graduate and they're going to go on to live bigger lives beyond football. And uh, the ability to learn those life skills and people skills and loving each other, no matter what, long after the football field are going to resonate a lot more than, you know, how to play the three, four defense. So uh, heartbreaking. What happened to Thomas Allen? It's the second straight season. He's been out with an injury and Uh, Tom Allen compared his injury today to to Tua Tungavailoa's injury with Alabama last year, which was really awful. So you have to hope that it's not that serious um, because Thomas Allen's been through a lot of injuries, and I think that's part of why you saw the emotion as well. Uh, But it was also just a representation of, I think, while all three of us can appreciate Tom Allen and what the program's doing as reporters beyond the football field, because there's so, many, there's so many people, and this has been said before, but there's so many people in college athletics and college sports that don't do things for the right reasons and cut corners and are unethical. And there's just no doubt that Tom Allen doesn't do that and that his program doesn't do it and to have good things happen to good people uh, is, is really special. And, and, you know, he's making this, Tom Allen has made this team, I think, a better place and I think he's made this university a better place.
0: I think, and I'm going to say this and we'll close out the pod. I, there are, I think there are, this is a program that's been seen as a joke, right? I mean, for decades on decades on decades has been seen as the joke of not only the Big Ten, but college football. And, you know, it's kind of a job that you take as a stepping stone to your next job. There was never, you know, Kevin Wilson was always going to be looking for the next job, you know, even though he didn't, you know, leave by choice, he was always constantly fielding options uh, just because, you know, Indiana could never get a real defense going. He never really got any. Tom Allen's going to, he, he will get options and I don't think he'll take them because I, I think Tom Allen wants to be here. Tom Allen loves this team. He loves this school. He loves this program. And the fact that you're seeing this much attention be driven towards IE football, I don't think is just because they're ranked ninth in the country now. I think it's genuinely because people see a good, positive person leading a winning football team in a college atmosphere where winning has just kind of overtaken the whole moral aspect of D- division one college sports and I think it's honestly refreshing that's why you're seeing him so much on ESPN that's why he's doing all these interviews that's why he's on Pat McAfee's show it's because generally people have respect for the guy A- and I, I mean I-, I can tell you that y- y- as media members I think we want to have the narrative of you know we get paid the, you know not we don't get paid I wish we got paid uh, we, yeah, we share this narrative. <laughs> yeah. We Come on, Connor Hines at the Hoosier Network. Let's go. Um, we, we share this narrative of, you know, we kind of file these building blocks of, well, this happens. So this happens. So this happens. So this It's just the normal story arch. This Indiana team is not only following the story arch of an underdog finding their way, they're exceeding expectations. And they're doing it in ways that people said, you probably can't do it. No, you probably can't make way in the Big Ten East on any given year if you're not going to be paying players, if you're not going to be, you know, doing crazy stuff. If you're not hiring, paying defensive coordinators five million dollars a year, whatever it is. Um and I think he's doing it. And he's doing it with guys who are doing it with heart. He's not doing it with guys who are coming out of college or high school NFL ready. He's doing it with guys he's having to build in-house. And I think that just shows how much he cares. Um, that he's not just going to go get the next best recruit and replace whoever's been there for three years. He wants to do it with guys who have been there for time, like Micah McFadden. Um, and, and I think it's showing. And I think another great example is Watt Fillier. Watt Fillier was a two-star. And he's come in and shined through this program. And I think that's exactly what Tom Allen wants. And I think that's what he's building. And I think if you don't ever believe that he cares about this team, this program, this school – you just need to replay this interview clip from today because it it shines through and his heart is there and his heart will be. And I think in Bloomington for a very, very long time to come. All right. (laughs) Now to another, uh, we're going to get to talk Ohio state. I'd like to say we're going to finish on a happy note this week, but we have to talk about Ohio state. So that should be interesting. We're going to have another podcast for you this week coming up later. Uh, Rashard Fant corner cornerback for indiana who graduated in 2017 he's going to be joining that one to talk ohio state super pumped to have him on Um, and just overall lots of content coming your way at the hoosier network this week so be sure to stay tuned for griffin epstein jack ankeny i've been griffin gonzalez we'll see you next time right here on the indiana football podcast presented by the hoosier network